If you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, and if you will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 23, where Dr. Mitchell resumes the lesson concerning the tree thrown into the bitter waters, which then became sweet and drinkable at Marah. It is noted in the book of Ruth that Naomi, which means pleasant, had asked that she be called Mara, bitter, because of the adverse circumstances the Lord had brought into her life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we are exhorted, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know, bitterness can affect one's health, both spiritual and physical. Jehovah Rapha is Jesus the Lord, our healer. So here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Exodus chapter 15, verse 23. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you with studies in the book of Exodus, and we've been dealing with the 15th chapter of this wonderful book. And we're down to a place where the people of Israel have crossed the Red Sea, they've sang their song of redemption, their song of triumph, and then they have a little test. They go three days' journey into the wilderness, and they're without water. It would be perfectly easy, easy for all of us, after such a great victory, to have a letdown. They murmured because the waters were bitter. They came to a pool where there was water, and it was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. So they murmured against Moses, what are you going to give us to drink? You know how true this is? Possibly you've experienced this, that after any great spiritual victory, there's always the danger of a letdown. May I refresh your memory of the book of Genesis? In chapter 14 of Genesis, Abraham had a great victory over the great armies of Amraphel, Kedorium, and so on. And he brought all the captives back and all the goods, brought them back to Sodom. He rescued his nephew Lot and all his family. And then, and then you remember the king of Sodom 
offered him all the goods, the spoils of war. He said, give me my people and you take the goods. No, says Abram, I, I'm not going to do that. My God is El Elyon. He owns everything. But what's the next chapter? The very next verse. God came unto Abram and said, Fear not, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Did Isman Abram need a shield? Has he not, has he not defeated the great armies of Amraphel and Kedolioma? Yes. It's a letdown. It's very easy. You can, you can be in Christian service and have great blessing and be used of God. And then what happens afterwards? It's so easy to have a letdown. Tests and trials come. And it's so easy for one to say, well, Lord, I'm surprised that you allowed this to come into my life. I've, I've been so faithful to you. I've done so much and so forth until you get occupied. In fact, you become very self-sympathetic. And you murmur. And again, I remind you, murmuring is against God. When they were murmuring against Moses, it was against God because Moses was God's man. And then you remember how God told Moses to throw a tree into it and he cast the tree into the waters and the waters became sweet. There the Lord passed an ordinance or he made for them a statute and an ordinance and there he proved them. Mara. In the first chapter of Ruth, you remember where Naomi said, I went out full, and El Shaddai has brought me home again empty. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me honey. Call me Mara. Better. Oh, there are so many Christians who need to be sweetened up. And it may be, my dear friend, that God might use you to sweeten up some of these Christians who need to be sweetened up. They're Mara, bitter. And sometimes they carry that bitterness on for years. And they kind of curl it around their tongue. And they justify themselves in their self-righteousness. Not knowing, not realizing that they're ruining their own life, their own experience, their own testimony for God. I just say this because I see so much of it. And yet how patient, oh, how patient the Lord is with us. He's long-suffering to us. Don't you forget that. If you, if you read through your New Testament, you'll read, in fact, the whole Bible, the patience of God, patience of God with his people of Israel. Uh, you, you would think that they would rejoice in the Lord. Lord, we've gone three days without water. You brought us into the wilderness. Now you, you provide us with water. No, no, just better. Just better. Now mark the, the lesson God gives them. Verse 26, chapter 15. If you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, and if you will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. I am the Lord that healeth thee, or I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, here's a wonderful promise. Here's bountiful provision. He's Jehovah Rapha. 
Where was this given to Israel? At a pool. It one time was bitter, now it's sweet. Jehovah Rapha, and if you obey my voice, if you live in obedience to my word, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. And by the way, will you notice that God claims that he's responsible for the diseases upon the Egyptians. You go back in the book of Exodus, you remember even the boils which came upon them. I needn't go any further than that, except to mention the fact that we are in God's hands. And even though God may test us physically, it's because he's got a purpose behind it. He's Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Could I, could I just stop a moment here and give you another picture? If you go over to the gospel through John chapter 5, in the first part of that chapter, you have our Savior going down to a pool, pool of Bethesda. And around this pool were many porches, and there were a lot of sick people. And they were waiting for the moving of the water. For it is said, at the moving of the water, an angel came down and touched the water. The first one who got into the pool after the troubling of the water was made whole, was healed of whatever disease he had. Made no difference what the disease was. That isn't even questioned. Whatever the disease is, he'll be made whole. And Jesus came along, and he saw a man there who'd been there 38 years infirmed. He had no family, no friends to stand by him. They'd all given up. And Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made whole? And the man says, What do you think I'm waiting around here for? Sir, I have no man to throw me in the pool when the water is troubled. When I try to gather a little strength to get into the pool, somebody else gets ahead of me. And Jesus said, Take up your bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and walked, was completely made whole. Now, why did I tell you that? Because... The first revelation of God as Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee, is in Exodus 15. And this was at a pool. The last revelation of God to heal was at a pool. Now, in John chapter 5, maybe I should say this. In the first four chapters of John, he's dealing with individuals. You remember that? You have Andrew and John and Philip and and so on in chapter 2, you've got his mother and his brethren. Chapter 3, you have Nicodemus. In chapter 4, you've got the woman at the well. When you come to chapters 5 through 8, you have our Lord dealing with the multitudes. And the very first thing he does in chapter 5 is to go down to the pool of Siloam, pool of Bethesda, pardon me, the house of mercy, and heal a man who had given up. Why didn't Jesus heal the rest of the folk around that pool? He could have done it. Why didn't he? Didn't he have any sympathy for them? Certainly. But why didn't he heal them? If you had been there and you had the power that our Lord had, you would have healed everyone, wouldn't you? I'll go with you. Yes, we would have healed everyone. Not Jesus. Why did he heal just one? Remember that the miracles in the Gospel through John and his credentials to his deity. Three of them have to do with creation. Three of them have to do with healing of the body. One has to do with resurrection. Just seven signs in John. 
What's the first one to the crowd, the, to the congregate, to the, uh, to the people of Israel? This one, found by a pool in Jerusalem, pool of Bethesda. And he said to the man, take up your bed and walk. And the same day was the Sabbath. And you remember the Jews said they were mad at Jesus, that, that is the religious leaders who were mad at Jesus. He had made the man carry his bed, which is not lawful for a man to do. Well, he said, Jesus told me to pick up my bed and walk. Who told you to take up your bed and walk? Jesus. And they came to our Savior. He said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Then the Jews sought to slay Jesus because he not only had broken the Sabbath day in making this man carry his bed, but also because he claimed to be equal with God, calling God his Father. And Jesus didn't deny it. He said, you're right. And as my Father has the authority to raise the dead and make them alive, even so also hath the Son that same authority. If my Father can raise the dead, that's what I can do. And when you go on through the chapter you have where the Father hath committed all judgment to the Son because he is the Son of Man. But what I'm after here is the revelation of God. And just as the Jews murmured against God and God was so patient, so long-suffering, so tender, and he said, listen, if you obey my voice, you obey my word, I'll keep you from the diseases of the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha. And remember, they're going to spend 40 years in a wilderness. No drugstores to run to, no nurses, no doctors. They're a race of slaves. And you take three million people, what are you going to do with them in a the wilderness? Ah, God said at the very beginning, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. No wonder we read afterwards, their clothes didn't wax old and their feet didn't swell and their shoes didn't wear out. But I'm after their feet didn't swell. Living in a howling wilderness, their feet didn't swell. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, at the end of the chapter, we come to the last verse. And here you have another picture. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Here you have springs of living waters, a place of springs and palm trees. <laughs> three days without water, came to a pool that was bitter. God healed the pool and declared he could take care of them. The wonderful thing, you know, after death we enjoy the living springs of living water. After we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we enjoy the Spirit of God who comes to indwell us. And this is the place of refreshing. They were refreshed there. Twelve wells of water, three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Now, this is not Canaan. There's a springs in the wilderness. Just you think of that. Springs in the wilderness. You know, uh, 84 Psalm, verses 5 to 6, especially that 6 verse says that we walk through the valley of Baca, 
God will make it a well. And here you have it, springs in the wilderness, a foretaste of what Canaan would be like, I tell you. And God gives us, too, a little foretaste of heaven and of glory, even down here below. Here now, there are three days' journey out of, the, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, rather, and from the Red Sea, they've gone three days. God has revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, and they came to Elam. And here you've got palm trees for shelter and food, and you have wells. And may I declare to you, my friend, you and I can have little foretaste of heaven down here, too. Now, I know the land they're going to is a land of pomegranates, a land of vineyards, a land of wealth. But here in the wilderness, alone with God, God gives them rest. He gives them peace. He showers his blessings upon them. And they're strengthened, and they're refreshed, and they're encouraged. And I tell you, God does the same thing with us down here. Here and there, God gives us little foretaste of heaven. Huh? We enjoy that wonderful peace that passeth all understanding. We rest in him. We experience something of the fellowship between a believer and the living God. And hence, we come from his presence, strengthened and refreshed and encouraged. So I'm talking to you, my Christian friend, and you're discouraged today. And I know possibly your conditions are such that it's pretty difficult, pretty tough. Circumstances are hard. You're not feeling good in body. Children have, haven't done what you thought they should have done. And it's so, so easy to become self-occupied, and we miss him. Did you hear me? We get so occupied with ourselves, we miss him, and we miss his rest. Not rest of conscience, we have that through the cross. Rest of heart. Yeah, that those two things you remember in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Take my, um, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, that's rest of conscience. But take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You'll find rest, that's rest of heart. That's a continual thing, that's experiential rest. Just like you have this question of faith and peace, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. And Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. In the world you'll have tribulation, but in me you'll have peace. So out of the trials, out of the tests, we come to a place of Elam, where there's palm trees and, and wells of water, clear water. Oh, how wonderful, how wonderful that God is always ready to meet our need. Now we come to chapter 16. And here we have the story of the giving of the manna. And you'll notice this lies between Elam, the place of springs, and Sinai. What does Sinai mean? It means that they have left the grace of God for the law of God. And grace and law are two entirely different principles. This is set forth in the book of Romans, you remember. If it's of grace, it's no more of works. 
If it's of works, it's no more of grace. It's not works plus grace. It's not grace plus works. You're saved entirely on the ground of the grace of God. His righteous character has been satisfied through the work of Christ. And now we feast on him. Ah, the provision God has made for us that lies between Elam, the place of springs, and Sinai. I say again, where they left the grace of God for the law which he gave to Moses. And you'll notice in the chapter that their murmurings are met by divine supply. And I declare, friend, this is always true. The divine supply is always there for you and me to rejoice in. Grace always makes provision for every need. The trouble is, the trouble is we want to get a little glory to ourselves. We want, we want to do what we want to do. We want to help God out. Now, I know some are going to say, Mr. Mitchell, that's dangerous doctrine. No, my friend, this is just the truth. The trouble is people get a distorted idea of it. When it comes to the question of our relationship to the Savior, our redemption, our salvation, like Israel coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, what did they do? Nothing. They just obeyed. Even though they murmured, they obeyed. Then it's followed by the great song of redemption. But now God's got to teach them. God wants them to look to him for their daily walk through the wilderness. And we're going to find, as you go through these chapters in Exodus and the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll find that the people of Israel, right down in their hearts, murmured. In fact, ten times they murmured against God. And, I, and I'm closing with this one thought, and remember, will you remember this? Israel would rather be in Egypt, in slavery, than with God in a howling wilderness, where it's tested and tried day after day after day, they're tested and tried. Just think of God bringing a people, redeeming them out of Egypt, delivering them by power of the Red Sea, bringing them into a howling wilderness and three days without water. Then he gives them water and brings them to Sinai. For 40 years, he fed them and he clothed them. He gave them heavenly bread. He gave them bread from heaven. Friend, would you be satisfied with God in the wilderness in the midst of all the tests and trials that they had? Or would you rather be back in the world, in slavery, to sin, under judgment, with no peace, with no rest, with no song. Very obvious, isn't it? And so I say to those of you who love the Savior, and we read these passages that are written for our admonition, God deliver us from being like Israel. Yet I've got to confess, most of us are like Israel. We, we would murmur if we'd been in their place too. We get our eyes off God we get our eyes on ourselves and our eyes on our circumstances and we murmur, may the Lord make himself so precious to us that whatever the test, whatever the trial, we're just going to put the whole thing in his hands. 
and let him work it out. He just loves to do that. You know why? Then his power is made known and his name is glorified. And you enjoy the deliverance and are filled with joy and with a song. And may the Lord bless you today. And may his face shine upon you. And may you enjoy to the full your fellowship and blessing in Christ Jesus. And we'll give him all the praise in his blessed name. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.